Live Creative Now, Episode 108. Welcome to Live Creative Now with Melissa Dinwiddie, a weekly podcast to inspire you to create your art and share your work. Because that's how you will change the world. Hello, I am Melissa Dinwiddie, passion pluralite artist, happiness catalyst, and creativity instigator, and author of The Creative Sandbox Way, here to address all your questions about living a full-color creative life. Whether you think of yourself as not artistic, not creative, which is a lie, or you think of yourself as an artist of any kind, writer, painter, actor, dancer, musician, whatever, or anything in between, no matter how you define yourself, feeding your creative hungers makes you feel more alive. It's how you change your life, and it's how you change the world. I have another conversation with you today. This is from the archive of conversations that I had way back in the fall of 2015 that I I'm finally getting around to publishing that I didn't publish for the longest time because of my old friend, perfectionist paralysis. But as I am a practicing imperfectionist, I am not letting perfectionism stop me anymore. So I am finally publishing those episodes. Yay! Today's conversation is with Christine Yablonski, who is someone I met at Life is a Verb Camp, which happens in the fall and is an event that I cannot recommend highly enough. It's wonderful. I love it. And I'm going again this fall. Christine, I wanted to talk to because she has a a story that is really, really inspiring. Not many people have or will have the experience of being on national television, let alone live national television. So that's something that's kind of hard to relate to for a lot of us. Let alone getting an apology on live national television from George Stephanopoulos or somebody of that ilk. Christine Yablonski and her husband had all of those experiences. They were not only on live national television, but they were they got an apology from George Stephanopoulos on live national television. And Christine tells that story in our conversation. She tells the whole story, and it's pretty fashion- fascinating. And the reason that I had her on the on the show is that she credits her ability to be poised and articulate in that high-stress, high-pressure situation as having its roots in that community choral group. Creativity plus community for Christine, as for so many of us, equals growth and empowerment. It's a pretty phenomenal formula. And by the way, that happens to be what led to my own creative sandbox community for women. And I will just put a little plug in here for the creative sandbox community, because there's never going to be a better time to join because prices are going up very soon. So if you have been thinking about joining there's never going to be a better time. Now is the time. The link to find out more and to join at the current price of $39 a month is creativesandboxcommunity.com. Check it out, creativesandboxcommunity.com. You can join now at $39 a month. It, it will be going up to $49 a month. And as soon as I actually have time to raise the prices, I'm very wrapped up right now in getting ready for my upcoming open studio, which is this weekend, blah, and my kitchen renovation. But when I have some bandwidth, I am going to be raising the prices. So uh, join now before the prices go up and you will be locked in at that $39 a month level or $3.90 a year. You'll save two months per year off your annual membership. And you won't have that monthly. If you don't like to pay per month, then just pay $3.90 a year and boom, there you go. So creativesandboxcommunity.com gives you all the information about that. 
and get in now before the price goes up. Creativity plus community equals growth and empowerment. And have a listen to my conversation with Christine Yablonski. And back in 2000, we moved to a new community, and I joined a, a community choral group. And my experiences performing with them, both just as a choral singer, but we also did production. So we did ly- lyric opera, we did Carmen, we did um, you know a lot of different kinds of things. Those experiences helped me feel more confident in different areas, and led to two different um, things that. I might not have done otherwise. One was volunteer for a camp that was LARPing. It was a live action role playing camp. And I volunteered to be um, one of the counselors. And over the course of four years, my, my um, duties increased exponentially until I was actually one of the camp directors. I was also the department of HR <laughs> for the year round company that ran the camp during the summer. And that was something that was totally not part of my um, experience. I didn't do HR, but I felt more confident being able to do that based upon everything that built up to it. The other thing was we had been, we started unschooling our kids uh, back in 04. And in 2010, um, a friend of mine who ran an unschooling conference knew that there was, um, they that, Good Morning America was looking to interview unschooling families. And so we were interviewed and when they aired it, the footage had been very edited (laughs) and made us look kind of goofy. And we were given an opportunity to come the next day to talk live to George Stephanopoulos um, about, it was for my husband and I, and I really believe I would not have felt comfortable doing a live interview on national television, if I hadn't spent time on stage, slowly but surely over the years, building up my experience of of uh, of improv, of of being able to express myself, of speaking clearly, things like that, and um, it went over really well overall. We actually were interviewed on the jo- the Joy Behar show as well. <laughs> Um, later that afternoon. And then we were interviewed numerous times um, on radio programs and some local news programs over the course of a year or so. And then I became a public speaker for a little while at conferences. And those were things that I never would have felt comfortable putting myself out doing, being an advocate for something unusual that a lot of people feel challenged by because it's hard not to think, well, if you're doing this and you're saying it's so great, um, then you must obviously think that what I'm doing is wrong as a parent, as an educator, as a whatever category you are. Um, I really do think that having time on stage with being comfortable with my friends and, and developing my skills together with people who I trusted to support me led me all the way down, you know, 10 years later to be able to just kind of jump up and say, no, I can do this and I'm going to do this. That is so great. I I so resonate with your story, Christine, and it all, no, I really do because, you know, I, I, I perform now, I perform around the country doing house concerts and, you know, speaking and teach, you know, I've, I've, I've taught for a long time, but the, in front of groups and things. I'm very comfortable in front of groups, but that has not always been the case. And for me, it was also a gradual thing. It it really started when I became a member, joined a really tiny little synagogue that had no building, no rabbi or anything, and was completely community led. And the people who kind of were organizing this brand new community picked up very quickly that I can carry a tune. I didn't think of myself as a singer at all back then, but I could carry a tune. And so they needed, the the services are very song driven, very song heavy, and they needed people who could carry a tune strong enough to lead a group of people 
singing, whether it's 10 people sitting around in a circle or leading rounds at high holiday services for hundreds of people. And so I started leading services and I was terrified to sit in a circle of, you know, 15 people or something and lead these services. I had to learn all this stuff. I, I didn't grow up learning. I was born Jewish, but I didn't grow up with a Jewish education. So it was all new to me, learning all these Hebrew prayers and songs and melodies and everything. And gradually over time, it was leading those services. And then when my little synagogue started leading our own High Holy Day services, holding our own High Holy Day services, which for those people who out there who are listening, who are not familiar with the Jewish community, most people are not affiliated with the synagogue, don't go to services every week or anything, but a lot of people come out during the High Holy Days. And right now it's actually just uh, just after Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. So I just actually co-led the entire three-hour morning service <laughs> on Monday. Um, but you know, everybody comes out for high holy day services. So hundreds of people come out. And I remember the first time getting on stage to help lead the rounds. I was one of a few different song leaders who would come up to the stage to lead a part. And I remember just shaking and my mouth was so dry and I was, I could barely project because my, you know, I couldn't use my diaphragm very well because I was so nervous, couldn't get a breath, you know? And now, you know, cut to, 15 years later or 20 years later, and I'm performing solo, you know, or with a band very, very confidently, but it doesn't start, it, you're not born with this. It's a gradual thing. So tell me about, it all started with this choir. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I have someone who in general, when I join an organization, I tend to end up taking on volunteer responsibilities. So you know, I, I became a mom and I went to La Leche League and eventually I became a leader. My daughter wants to join Girl Scouts. I became a leader because they needed more leaders. Uh, when we moved to the same uh, new community, um, I got one, one of my first friends with Chorus was someone who was also part of the League of Women Voters. So I joined the board. And it was one of those things where all of a sudden we realized I hadn't actually officially become a member of League of Women Voters in my town when I was already becoming elected. So I kind of like did this, the two things together. So it's not like I've never taken on um, positions of, I don't know, authority, or certainly I've been someone who, who joins and then commits strongly to the organization. But it was really more behind the scenes kind of stuff. I mean, I wasn't up there making grand speeches or or performing. I was just, you know, I'm, I'm someone who wrote the newsletter or, you know, you know, help, help formulate survey questions and things like that. Um, but because of the people I met at Chorus, um, and they were people from all different ages and uh, different walks of life who ended up in this community. So some people were townies, if you would, or had certainly, or even raised their kids there. Others were newbies like me, who just for whatever reason were there. And we all created this really great community and it felt safe to, um, to push yourself, to try new things, to try to be a soloist, to try to, um, you know, try to do things such as move from being a chorus person to putting on a big costume and performing, which is a very different feel and a very different mindset than just, it's one thing to stand with a group of people. And I sang in the, in the choir with our UU church as well. And there's, um, there's like, you've all got each other's back when it's that, but when it's time to like step forward and it, and it's all on you for that moment. That's a that's a terrifying position to be in, and I learned how to control my fears and my jitters from that experience of being with the community chorus. And again, that I know helped me moving forward to be able to stand up and say, "This is what I believe. This is how my family lives their lives." Um, or in the case of um, the, the the LARPing camp. You know, I want to do this. I and and 
I, who have no theater background aside from the course, can still say, I want to be part of this organization. How can I be a part of your organization? And that's a really, the, the risk of no is huge. And um, to be able to step up and say, I want this. How, how can I be part of this? Um, I think that, that, that sense inside myself really did come from having built up through the different years that I worked and sang and performed with the chorus. Yeah. You know, I also resonate with what you were just saying about how when you're singing with a chorus, it's, there's safety in numbers, right? You're, you're one of a group. If you sing not perfectly, like eh, people probably won't notice it so much and stuff and it's okay. And, and you've got people right next to you who you can hear them singing. So you, you know your part usually because you're, you're, you're singing with all the altos or all the sopranos or whatever. And it's really different when you step out in solo or like in my case, I got very comfortable over years standing up in front of my congregation and leading a service, leading the songs, right? Get, joining in, you know, there'd be some places where I'm the only one singing, but it, but it was leading a service as opposed to a performance. You know, it's got performative aspect to it, definitely. But what I discovered when I started taking classes on jazz singing and getting up with a microphone, which I'd never held before, which feels really weird when you're never held a microphone. feels like, what am I doing, you know? Uh, and standing with a band, a trio, and singing, you know, standing in front of the band with a microphone singing, I was shocked at how terrifying that was, given that I was comfortable getting up in front of hundreds of people to lead a service all by myself for three hours, right? Well, it turns out it's a very different animal to get up with a microphone and a trio and sing a song in front of an audience, particularly in a class setting where you know you're there to be critiqued, right? <laughs> nothing's more nerve wracking. But it's little by little and just exactly like you said, you learn how to do it even though you're scared. And then the fear starts to, like the edge starts to come off of the fear until you start to become comfortable with, with that unique experience of being uncomfortable on stage. <laughs> I'm feeling like the imposter. Like, what am I doing here? I don't really belong here. You're like, who am I to stand here with a microphone in my hand as if I know what I'm doing? Exactly. <laughs> in, fact, in fact, you know, everybody, everybody, every professional had to start at some point where they moved from the hairbrush to an actual mic. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it is so interesting because you always start off with that imposter complex and feeling like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm faking it. I am so faking it. I feel like such a fraud, but you do it enough and eventually it becomes normal. And now holding a microphone is like the most normal thing in the world for me. <laughs> so funny how that how that operates and i i love your story of how all of these layer upon layer upon layer of skills that you were learning and levels of putting yourself out there that you were becoming more comfortable with got you to a place where you could get onto a television show with like super famous people and speak your mind and i'd love to hear a little bit more about that if you could first, for people who are listening who don't know what unschooling is, can you explain what that is? I, I know what it is, but not everybody does. So, yeah, Sure. Um, unschooling is a type of homeschooling. So it's legally considered homeschooling. However, it really takes a different tact entirely, where the idea is that stop breaking um, life into subjects. Because as we know, as adults, how do we learn best? It's when we are naturally, intrinsically engaged in the thing that we're interested in. And as adults, we can accept that. And we can accept that people continue to learn throughout their lives. But it's a lot harder to accept that children learn the same way. And that some, some of the things that happen in schools can interfere with the process of learning for children because there's very often an emphasis on everyone progressing at the same rate 
in certain subjects, you know, and, and whatnot. And um, that's not how learning really happens, no matter what your age. We all know it's, it's jumps and spurts and starts. And there'll be certain things that a person naturally gravitates towards. And there's certain ways that they like to learn. Some are very auditory oriented. Some are very kinesthetic oriented. Um, you know, the kid, the kid who likes to move around and tinker with stuff. Um, it's, it's a different style than a kid who wants to read about it or the kid who wants to watch the YouTube videos on how to, you know, they might come up with the same end result of being able to build some cool thing, but the process of how they learn to do it is different. And if you blow that outwards towards the whole idea of learning, um, unschooling families do a lot of job, a lot of work at strewing stuff and making sure that there's lots of interesting things for their children to encounter throughout their lives, but don't tell the kids what to do. Uh, we're more mentors or guides, and we um, recognize that th the way learning happens is a very personal thing and isn't from something coming out from the outside in, but an inside thing that develops from the connections that a person makes from thing to thing to thing as they experience it. That's a very boiled down. <laughs> <laughs> but I hope it kind of gives an idea of it. <laughs> yeah. So it's very, very child directed as opposed to um, top down teacher. This, this is what you're going to learn today from the teacher. Right. So the, yeah. So, um, child directed sort of gets at it. Um, it is, it's not where the child just gets to call the shots and does whatever, because that sounds almost a little anarchic, <laughs> but it is absolutely the idea that whatever the child is or team or person is involved in has meaning to that person. And we should try very hard not to get in the way of their experience of that thing. Mm. And, and find ways to help our children um, follow whatever way you're, you know, so, you know, something will lead to something else and you try to bring ideas to them that they are free to choose to use or not to use and, and, and like that. So it's child oriented, but it's not like whatever the kid, you know, the kids just left to them, their own devices. Parents are absolutely partners with their, with their kids in the learning process. <laughs> so you 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 felt like the this clip of you was portrayed you in a sort of goofy way can I'm curious about how you were portrayed and then I'm also curious about when you went on the show your experience of the show and if you felt like that resulted in it in something that made you pleased so we had spent weeks talking with producers behind the scenes before the film crew ever came to our home. And we talked at length, very in depth um, about unschooling and how our family lives it. So we gave them a lot of information and our family in particular, at the time we had an RV and four years prior to filming, about three and a half years prior to filming, the kids and I had spent two months traveling across the country and back in our RV. And so we had a map that showed all the stuff that we did. We brought the, when the film crew came, we showed them the, the RV. We showed them the map of all the places the kids had been. We had already been to Australia and England with the kids. Our daughter, when she was 10, was part of the People to People Young Ambassador Program, and she got to do the um, Tale of Two Cities tour, which took her to France and England. She was 10 when she did this. We had a garden. We had a, we had a little greenhouse where we had seed starters, because this was in April, and we lived in Massachusetts at the time, so you had seed starters. You weren't planting just yet. But we had all these different things that we showed them that our, our family did together or had done together and instead they asked us 
hey, can you show the kids, can you show the kids just like sitting around watching TV? Like you guys just sit down and watch TV. Okay. Can you show the kids uh, what's like one of their favorite things to eat? And so my son said, um, bar, yeah, barbecue, um, or other, um, yeah, like barbecue chicken wings kind of thing. And so they said, oh, you want to make some? Sure. So he cooks them up and he sits down and he starts to eat them. So they show him eating, you know, what looks like junk food. And they show them sitting in front of the television and they never showed the RV in our trip. <laughs> they never mentioned it even. Um, at one point, so Sean was, this was five years ago. And um, so Sean was like 12, probably at that point, um, or 12, 13. And he was talking about how he had been in school. He was seven when, when we took them out of school. And Juju uh, Chang was the, the, the um, person who interviewed us in our house. And she was asking him about sports. Now, my kids were going to the sword fighting school, uh, which was the school that, uh, that was a year-round school that also ran this camp that we were part of. Um, and so my son was taking all these classes, you know, and everything, but they, she asked him, what sports do you like? And he's thinking, okay, so you mean like, you know, baseball, football, that kind of thing. He's like, I wasn't interested in any of those. And, and she kind of made fun of him. Like you were seven. What did you know? And he didn't know how to respond to that. And it was interesting because actually a friend of mine posted on Facebook afterwards and they said, you know what? I, it's probably the first time somebody ever spoke to him that way which was so dismissive of him because he was that he wasn't even he was older but you know what do you know at seven seven-year-olds know a lot and it's such an awful thought to think that he was dismissive of his his experiences and um when they aired the set, the whole, the whole thing. And it was like five minutes. <laughs> you know, so it's like, you know, so every, 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 you know, we'd have, we'd speak for five minutes and you'd get like a sentence and a half. So, you know, edited down. So you don't even get like the full thought out of our mouths um, about whatever they asked. But when it was introduced, George Stephanopoulos said, this probably, this seems crazy, but this thing, family. And so that's, that's how they introduced the segment to begin with. So we were very unhappy. And um, we had a lot of friends write um, in support on their website. A lot of people who unschooled who knew our family, because we've been, we've been traveling around the country for different conferences and whatnot. So we, we knew people from all over the country. And they started writing very um, passionate yet well thought out responses about this whole thing. And a few hours later, Juju Chang called us and said, Hey, we've never had a response like this. That wasn't like super politics. I mean, this was, you know, this was human interest. This wasn't, you know, anything world shattering by any stretch, but they had such a strong, response because there was also people people writing in saying well these kids are going to grow up and be on welfare they're going to be a drain on society oh these parents are negligent how could they how could they how could they so they asked us if we wanted to go on the air the next day wow really think about it because we really felt like we gave them so much so much information that they could have worked with and they chose to go very sensationalistic with it. So, um, obviously, as I've already told you, though, we decided to go. And they flew us down. And the next morning, we went in there. And it was pretty funny because <laughs> things that, you know, don't ever make it on TV is like some of the backstage stuff. So we're in a green room. And um, they have this spread of food set up for everybody who's not famous. <laughs> to hang out is because you're not with the famous people in the green room because we're nobodies, but they had this food spread and everything. And so they had like all these donuts, and 
croissants and pastries and stuff. And then they had fresh fruit behind. <laughs> Our kids were reaching over the pastries, over, you know, the chocolate. Because <laughs> they saw, oh, hey, look, melon. <laughs> and we're just looking at each other. We're just like, I wish they got this on camera. Because like, nobody told them they had to do that. They just, because that's just naturally like, oh, look, fruit. I want fruit. <laughs> But anyway, so then we were then we were brought on uh, for our segment, and the first thing George Stephanopoulos did was apologize for for starting the intro the previous day the way he did because he recognized and acknowledged that that you know that that does set a certain tone of what the viewers should be expecting to see. If you say it's, it this seems crazy, well, they're going to have an eye towards that and won't be as open to it. And of course, I mean, obviously any, anything you see on television, if it's five minutes of information on something that's kind of complicated, like how to raise children, <laughs> you will not be getting a full picture. <laughs> so uh, we just did our best to, try to explain some of the core concerns that people expressed when they wrote in on their, on their site. And I think we did a good job. And um, like I also said, later that afternoon, we ended up on the Joy Behar show. We ended up recording a segment on her show as well um, that aired later that day. So we um, had an opportunity to try to explain things a little bit more fully without any edits because I mean, it's, it, you know, it was live that morning and, and Joy Behar show, they didn't edit anything. They just took a straight conversation kind of approach to the interview. So, um, yeah. And so it was, it was one of those things where it was a lot of adrenaline um, speaking live. And I was, I just remember feeling incredibly focused about what were the key things I wanted to express and um, without being um, without being angry, without being um, belligerent or having a tone that would seem like um, that would turn off people. I just wanted to be really focused and articulate <laughs> and help explain it a little bit more clearly so that people could see that these weren't, these weren't parents who are lackadaisical and uninterested in their children's lives and just letting whatever happens happens kind of thing. And that we really were going into this mindfully and we had, we had a community of people behind us where we could all share and, and encourage and explain the principles to each other to help everyone understand it better. And, and it led to me actually starting a little Facebook page about it that I continue to the, this day sharing, you know, information about unschooling to people who are curious about it. And, and uh, yeah, and it's interesting because now my kids are 18 and my daughter turns 21 next week. <laughs> So it does feel, even though it wasn't that long ago, it was five years ago, in a way, like my kids are grown now. And so it's kind of funny talking about all this now because, you know, we're kind of moved on in a lot of ways from it, but um, I still have a toe in it because it does matter to me. And I want people to um, just know that there are, alternatives if they're not happy with the way things are going in their lives with their families and um, and because because of the crazy interview that went you know that you know started the whole thing um, that, that fostered my ability to try to reach out and and create spaces for people to be able to uh, learn a little bit more about unschooling for themselves. Very cool. And are you still singing in the choir? No, we moved. Um, we moved four years ago down to Asheville and uh, North Carolina. So we're now very far away from where I used to be. Um, 
and yeah, I'm not singing so much. Although I did give a little, I did a, I did a little song at a certain camp that you and I are aware of <laughs> last year. <laughs> and that was nerve wracking because I hadn't sung in public since like 2009. <laughs> So, but I've been practicing again because next week I'm back at the camp. <laughs> yes, this is our beloved Life is a Verb camp with Patty Dye, which, yeah, so it's so dear to my heart. Indeed. <laughs> and are there any other creative pursuits, creative outlets in your life right now? Yes. Well, so from the camp, I learned about um, art journaling. Mm. And so I've been I've been doing an, um, a prompted art journal. I joined a group that has a weekly prompt, and I've been I've, I got very far behind due to travel and other things. So um, you know, life. <laughs> but I've been having a lot of fun with that. And then last last month um, was my birthday, and spur of the moment. I asked a dear friend of mine, who you know as well, from camp, <laughs> I've known Ren, uh, Ren Allen, since, God, for 10 years now almost, um, and she was also an unschooling mom, still is, and she is a makeup artist and body paint artist, and spur of the moment, my daughter and I end up going and getting body painted with Ren, and I had so much fun that I actually went and did a tutorial with her a couple weeks ago, well, last week, and yesterday, my new paints arrived, I painted my daughter, and now I'm learning the fine art of body painting. That is so cool. It really is. I got I'm having a Oh my gosh, I got to do a, a little bit of body painting with Ren in a in a workshop last year at camp and it was so yeah. fun. I painted my arm. <laughs> it was so neat. <laughs> and how how have you noticed any difference in your life when, you know, when the times when you are art journaling or doing some body painting or something, do you notice a difference in your in your life in your days? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, there's a different energy that comes from that. It's sort of like losing yourself in time when you just get involved into something like the time doesn't matter. And sometimes I have music playing to help either inspire me or just to help reinforce whatever energy I'm bringing to the art but sometimes it's just silence. Like I just want to be there. I just want to be in my own head and let the process go. One of the, my favorite things about the art journaling is that it's really helped me pull out of my desire to be a perfectionist person. That's, that was one of the things that prevents me from singing. Um, that, I mean, I literally last year at the camp for the talent show thing, I walked up three minutes or so before I actually sang because I was too afraid to actually sign up ahead of time. And then it was some of the other campers who were like, you should go sing. You should go sing. Ren was one of them. <laughs> She's like, you should go sing. And so it was, it was very nerve wracking for me to just kind of let it go and have fun with it. And what I find with the art journaling is that is a wonderful way to just let the art happen and not worry about it being being perfect or or even like you have a vision of how you think it should be in your head and i've been letting myself just use the brayer and spread that paint around and spackle you know spatter with it and things like that and just kind of let the happenstance happen and just a few days ago um i was working on a piece that was supposed to be done in July, <laughs> but I'm getting there. Um, and it was just this one of these things where I just kind of spread the paint around a little bit. And then I, I, I started dabbing up sections with a paper towel. And also I had this section that looked like a birch tree branches, like the, the, the trunk of a birch tree. And so all of a sudden I'm outlining it with pencil. And then I tore off pieces of um, paper that I had pre-printed with stuff and I created a tree and it was just one of those things where it 
I had no idea what I was going to do before I started. It's just that all of a sudden shapes started appearing on the page for me. And I started running with that. And that is such a freeing thing of just letting whatever happens, happens and let that inform your next step and then your next step. And that is really something that I find incredibly therapeutic and um, very freeing. So I get out of my own way and just let the art guide me. Mm, I love, I love the way you talk about that. That really expresses how I approach my painting as well these days. That's, that's my improvisational intuitive, let the painting guide me way of working, which enables me to get into that, my creative sandbox mindset rather than being stuck in perfectionist paralysis. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And how do you find on the days when you do that? How does the, how, how does the rest of your day go? Do you well, notice I'm, any I'm, difference? I think I notice that um, I keep coming back to it in my head, even when I'm doing other things. So it's one of those things where I'm kind of like, oh, maybe I could try this. So maybe I can try that. So it's kind of like it, the gears are still working in the back of my head. And, um, and that's very interesting. Um, I'm, I'm one of those lucky people who I'm still a stay-at-home mom. <laughs> even though my kids are now grown at this point, aside from the time that I um, worked for that camp and the, and the sword fighting school, I, I was a stay-at-home mom at homeschooling my kids. And that has been able to continue. So I do have a lot more uh, free time than a, a lot of people my age. Uh, most people my age are also working, you know, and, and, and have, and, don't have that kind of free time for the hobby aspect of life. And so I think what's good for me is that by having these extra prompts and things and things to like little projects to come into, it gives me a little bit of structure when I'm thinking, Oh, what could I do? Well, I have something I can go back to and, and put some creative energy into, and then I'm not feeling quite so unstructured. Um, that makes any sense? Yeah. Because it's, it's since we, when he, my, my husband has this issue where when he does have free time, he doesn't quite know what to do with himself because he's generally very structured. Work, he works, you know, 12 hour days most days. He travels an awful lot for work. So he doesn't have a whole lot of downtime, but when he does, it's almost like, okay, now what? And um, I love that for me, I do have this whole thing of, you know, if I don't, you know, I could be cooking, I can be doing artwork. I could be um, doing things with my kids. I can be running or hiking or, you know, different things. And, um, but sometimes if you have a lot of options, it can be hard to like say, well, what am I going to do? And um, by having, I wouldn't say I have a, well, lately I, ha- I do have a daily practice because I've been trying to catch up with the art journaling. So having a, as close to a daily practice of just being creative, it's almost like make, you make the time for some sort of physical fitness in your life for your, for your physical health. And then by having the art, and, and making a conscious effort to have some art time in your in your daily life, then you're cre- having that creative aspect built into your life, and where you can keep working those creative energies and and working your creative muscles. Amen. <laughs> you are preaching to the choir. <laughs> well, Christine, it's just been so great to hear a little bit of your story and how. Creative expression has made such a difference in your life. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Thanks, Melissa. It's been grand. (laughs) (laughs) And I will see you very soon at camp. So excited. Are you going to be, are you, are you signed up to sing in the talent show? I am. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I will see you there. Awesome.
And now it's time for this week's Something Cool, which is Zero Odor Spray. If you have cats, like I do, I have a very fluffy Siberian cat who is a 100% indoor kitty. If you have cats, and even if you don't, but especially if you do, this Zero Odor Spray will change your life. And actually, I use this stuff in combination with the Litter Genie, which I guess is similar to a Diaper Genie, but I've never had kids, so I've never had to deal with diapers. But as I said, I do have this indoor kitty. And so litter box smell is a very big problem or used to be a very big problem, especially since it is in the bathroom right off my studio, which is basically where I am all the time, (laughs) like 16 hours a day or something. But now I spray the litter box with zero odor. And then I scoop the litter waste. I use, um, world's best cat litter, which is made from corn, and it's clump, it clumps. And so I scoop all the litter waste, the urine and the poop into the litter genie. And that seals all the smelly stuff away. And the zero odor, it's not a mask, it's not a perfume. It I don't know, like molecularly, it's somehow it, it's somehow it like, bonds to the odor molecules or something, it makes them heavy or something like that. It eliminates the odor. It's kind of magical. And it really makes it disappear. Now, I have to confess, it took me a long time to get used to it. I didn't use it. I had a little sample bottle for the longest time. It has a tracer scent. So uh, it's not quote unquote scented. It doesn't have a perfume to it. I hate perfume. So if you like scented perfumey things, you're not going to dig this stuff. I do not like perfumes. I can't stand them. It, but it does have an added tracer scent, and it took me a long time to get used to that. I didn't like it. But once I got used to the tracer scent, which they add to literally let you know that you have sprayed the stuff, because otherwise you might not remember that you had sprayed it, because it literally like bonds to the smelly molecules and somehow makes them not smell anymore. So uh, it took me a while to get used to it. But once I did, now I'm kind of... I'm kind of addicted to it. So you do have to spray more than one spritz for it to make make it work. My husband was kind of unclear on the concept. We have a bottle in the master bathroom. And after he would use the bathroom, he thought like one little spritz would make would do it. No, it it doesn't do it. You need more than one spritz. You need like, you have to do like 10 or 15 or 20 good strong sprays. But if you do that, it really does work. And I've included an image in the show notes and links in the show notes. They are Amazon affiliate links, FYI. So if you do click through and you buy, I will make, I don't know, like get 2% or something. It's crazy. It's not like I can make, it's not like I'm paying my mortgage with affiliate clicks or whatever. (laughs) But I make a few pennies. Um, There's an image in the show notes of Zero Odor Pet. They have pet, they have, I don't know, different varieties. I honestly don't know if there's any actual difference in the formula. I think it's just marketing. I think it's just like they slap it in a different bottle. Um, And now to save money and plastic, I actually buy the 128 ounce commercial strength bottle. It's like a gallon size. I think that's a gallon sized uh, bottle. And it's supposedly stronger formula. It's more um, concentrated. So I literally water it down. And it it seems to work just fine. So um, I don't know if that's legal. <laughs> I don't know if it costs like, I tried to contact the zero odor people, they never got back to me. Anyway, I just refill my use a funnel and I just refill my existing bottles because I, I don't why throw up perfectly good bottles, they work perfectly fine. So I just keep buying that 128 ounce commercial strength bottle. <laughs> anyway, I have a bottle in the master bathroom a bottle in the kitty bathroom, otherwise known as the studio bathroom. And when we're really on our game, we have a little bottle in the powder room as well. And man, it's just changed my life. The quality of life is so much better now that the studio bathroom doesn't smell like kitty poop all the time. <laughs> so that is today's something cool, zero odor. 
check it out. So that's it. That's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining me today. As always, if you are enjoying this podcast, tell a friend about it. That is the best way to spread the word, have, you know, help other people find out about the show and hop on over to iTunes and leave a rating and review because that's how other people find out about the show. You can tell your friends and you can tell people who are not yet your friends, or maybe you'll never meet them. (laughs) Maybe they'll never be your friends. But if you head on over to iTunes and leave that star rating and The best thing is if you literally write, type in some words into a review. It doesn't have to be very many words. It can be like a sentence, like 20 words. But that makes such a difference because when other people read your words about what you think about the show, it makes a phenomenal difference for when other people are looking for podcasts, looking to hear about, you know, creativity advice or you know, other people are looking for podcasts on how to live creative lives. And when you write a review, it helps this podcast show up in their searches. So it makes a phenomenal difference in helping other people find the podcast. And it would also totally make my day. I might even read your review on a future episode. So that would be super cool as well. And I would be eternally grateful. There hasn't been a new review in the US iTunes store for a few months. So if you leave me a new review, a new good review, because <laughs> I don't really want to read a bad review on the podcast, but if if you leave me a new five-star review in the United States iTunes store, I would love to read it on the show. And if you leave your Twitter ID in the in your review, I'll give you a shout out on Twitter. And I might even, you know, I don't know, send you a little goodie or something. So go leave me a review. If you need step-by-step instructions for how to do that, just go to livecreativenow.com slash iTunes dash review. Technically, that's a hyphen in between iTunes and review it's in the URL. So it's technically it's livecreativenow.com slash iTunes hyphen review. That's livecreativenow.com slash iTunes hyphen review. If you have a question for the show, send me a, an email there or uh, you can actually leave me a voice message. So freaking cool. I would love to get your voice message with your question. I would love to play your voice on the podcast. You can leave your question at livecreativenow.com slash questions. That's livecreativenow.com slash questions. Ooh, that would be so cool to get a question from you for the show. Whew, man, that was a lot of stuff. All right, I am going to go work on some art and getting ready for my open studio, which is this weekend. You can find out more about Open Studios at svos.org. That's for Silicon Valley Open Studios. svos.org for Silicon Valley Open Studios. svos.org. Wish me luck. And I will talk to you again next week. Thanks again for joining me. And go get creating. Live Creative Now! Subscribe at livecreativenow.com